Jones, Scott with Leading Edge Archery. We got the team back this morning. We're all here. The boys back in town. The boys are back in town. Bridger's been traveling all over the damn country shooting his bow. How long have you been gone, seriously? Uh, I mean, well, after next week, it'll be like six weekends or Yeah, something. six weekends. Five, Homeboy's just... Five or six weeks in a row. Homeboy's on a tear. You, you got to be tired of traveling. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Jaybird's back. It's more like tired of driving. I'm, I'm yeah, no tired kidding. of digging, Grandpa. You, you drive all over the place to shoot for, well, you know, like two or three hours. Yeah. It blows. I think that we shot, the, I mean, we shot more than that in Yankton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that didn't field count. Day, that field day is probably the longest I've ever taken. No kidding. To shoot a field round. How long was it? Uh, probably took us six hours. Oh, my gosh. Normally, well, normally all the pros are all in their own range. And we usually take like well, you guys three hours. With, you guys are mixed hours. in with the AMs? No, but there was some, like, there was a lot of, couple different classes on our field course. Gotcha. Damn. And then it was raining on one of those days, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, barely. Barely. That's kind of soggy out there. Yeah. Well, Jason, you went too, didn't you? I didn't shoot field, though. No field. No, not this Uh, time. Might do it next year. That's long. Yeah. It's a long time. Then you got back from that and went straight over to uh, Coleman? No. Well, you ended up skipping the OPA. Didn't do OPA. A lot of Some, controversy around that tournament this year. Not to yeah, get into the weeds, but hey. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, sounds like. Yeah, that was crazy. Between organization and I know some of the, some shooters, Paige in particular, was a little. Yeah, irritated by irritated the shoot Irritated by the shoot off, yeah. Outspoken about it. Uh, you know, she I got mean, a point, in my opinion. Well, how else are you going to make any so, make changes? Any or How else are you going to make sure everybody knows what you want and make well, changes? And like, the funny thing is, is that. I have always thought, okay, let's. How can we mix this up and make it kind of cool? Like make it uh, a little bit more drama to the entire thing. And I thought, hey, resetting everything to zero would kind of be cool. And then you'd seed yourself accordingly in a round robin tournament. But then, you know, you hear her and Bridger's been Which, yelling at me forever about this. You're an idiot if you do it. <laughs> it's more than just the one. I don't mind the the shoot up style that they did which i mean if anybody doesn't know they did similar to what lancaster does so after the ranking right. round everybody got flighted together or flighted out so first place basically was guaranteed no worse than second right and fourth and fifth shot off the winner of that shoot off <coughs> shot against the third rank guy yeah. winner of that shot against second winner of that shot against first um so if you qualified well you still you, benefited you seated from that. well right yeah exactly. whereas like last year it all went to zero correct like tim had a 28 or 30 point lead or something and damn near lost yeah, exactly you yeah. know so at least well, now it like contributes to the shoot off so the 40 arrows you shot at the you know to the get first there two days actually right. matter right but when it's a one arrow shoot off you're i'd rather just flip a coin yeah exactly well and plus are you guys did they shoot 14s in that one i don't know I was curious because I, I, I could see if they if it. they only put let fourteen to be in play in the in the shoot off bracket, then it makes sense because you know then you have a chance to make up a lot of points quick if you want to sit yeah. there and go after. Well, it. they're I mean, and that's you drama. shoot fourteen the whole the whole time, oh, the whole tournament. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. You just have to call it. You got to call them right. Then you came back and went to Coleman. Mm-hmm. Right. Got away. back and went right straight to Coleman, and then. This week I'm not doing an archery tournament, it's, but it is a fishing tournament. So <laughs> it's, it's a fishing still tournament. tournament. It's still a tournament. tournament. It still counts. Yeah, yeah. the cooler uh, ones. <laughs> and then next week, I don't know when we're going to release this, but uh, the weekend of the 14th and 15th, going to that Mile High Triple Threat. Mile High Triple Threat. Yeah. So, dude, we could check looking at that next year. 
That sounds like a cool tournament. Yeah. Plus, it's in Colorado in August. Hello. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be interesting because there's no. I mean, I've shot like multi. Discipline. Multi-discipline tournaments before, but yeah. they've always been like local stuff. Right. It's never been like a, a bigger tournament. Bigger so I'm kind of curious to see how it goes. The big problem is putting a target bow in your hands in August. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Because you're geared up. And he's just getting ready. to. Regardless of what he does, whether it's an elk hunt or a 3D shoot, <laughs> he's go. just going to set it up at 10 o'clock the night before. Here we go. Here <laughs> we go. I'm, I'm, I'm changing all that next year. I actually have a commitment made to myself. When I get back from elk season, I know you guys are shaking your head. Well, you no. watch. At I'm, least he has a bow already. <laughs> Just good. watch. The, the good thing is you're putting it out there. I so am. So the people can, I am going can to, back I, us up. I have made a commitment that I am going to go after it like I did about 10, 12 years ago. I'm going to go after it pretty hard. Practice every morning, practice every night, get myself physical shape and, you know, for a variety of reasons. I'm becoming that guy that I make fun of. Mm-hmm. The bow shop owner that doesn't shoot his bow. <laughs> That's not cool. Because you lose all credibility. So well, where's your bow? Oh, I don't have, I don't have it set up right now. I sold it. I sold it. <laughs> That's usually the issue. So we're getting the group yeah. back together. Gonna yeah. hit it hard. And then, um, yeah, just a lot of exciting things coming up. Um, elk season is coming up, which is going to be crazy. Um, I'm going to be gone for like 45 days, which is going to suck. No, I don't think so. I think I'm going to do four off, and then I'm coming back. I don't know if I'm going to do those rifle hunts, and I just don't know if I want to mess with it. I'm not hunting. I'm yeah. going to help You're some guys. Guiding. Yeah, pretty much. So. The good thing is you don't have to worry about calling him in. They just yeah, call him you in just, to about 600 yards. I already yards. know if I do it, I'm going to sit in the can't one drainage and just tell this guy to make a 400-yard shot and be done in like two days. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. And come home. Call it good. good. money. Exactly. And then, because um, everybody, that's where it's kind of heading right now, because Bridger, you're winding up at the Classic in uh, three weeks, mm-hmm. end of August, and then that kind of shuts it and down. That's that's really it. Yeah, until I really only have two. Yeah, until like we have indoor season. left, and then it's indoor after yep. that. Apparently it's already indoor season, so we're not <laughs> well, even going to get hey, started on that. No, we are going to get started real quick before we go. I am going to the guests. classic, though. You are, yeah. Oh, okay. But Jason has made a commitment to shoot indoor this year. Apparently, it's going to make should, me make be, me a better be. shooter next year. So <laughs> we'll get, we'll you, give it a whirl. You seem really excited about this. I yeah. <laughs> it's just like faded, just closer. It's just closer. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, I guess I'll give it a try and, and actually fine. do it seriously. No, you need to do it seriously. And um, I, I'm a firm believer those that your outdoor champions are built in indoor. I used to I used to despise indoor because I was really crappy at it. <laughs> well, we all are. I guess I'm getting a little bit better at it yeah. if I can control. Yeah, you, well, you shot your 300 the other day. Yeah, I, which was awesome. And I turned around and did it on a Vegas as yeah. well, and I was like, okay, I'm good. I can do this. Yeah. And then I shot a 298 the other day and almost broke my bow in half. So it's like, all right, I'm in the right mind frame. You get the you get the first one and it's like, well, if I don't do it every time, what's the point of doing yeah. it? Yeah, well, why do I, this? I quit. Strip the target down, start over. I'm good with that. I'm yeah. gonna put some Bayless in my coffee. So we are um, actually hosting a really big event this weekend. We're doing our elk seminar, training seminar on this today. Actually, today and Saturday. I don't know when we're going to release this, but. We had a lot of vendors coming in. Five-minute discussion last night about what it's called, how many syllables are there in Elkapalooza. Well, we talked about doing Elkapalooza. Jeff Helm actually coined that one. He wants to do that because Jeff's Jeff. He's kind of dorky like that. So by the time this gets released, Elkapalooza would have already happened. Yes, but you know what? We did this last weekend just so you guys are on the right time frame. 
the cool thing about Alcapalooza is we did the hashtag and then I didn't know you could do this. Uh, this is how internet unsavvy I am. If you go to hashtag Alcapalooza, whatever, and you look it up, yeah. there's like only like four pictures to it. So like nobody has it. Not yet. No. So we're going to do it and bomb it out, I think. Yeah, I, we can create hashtags out of anything as long as people use it. Like we can make one that says that's dope. Exactly. Exactly. And um, link it to you. But <laughs> no we're doing we're doing that big elk event that's today and tomorrow. And we're kicking it off with a podcast this morning. Correct. And we got a great guest with us today. We do. Man, this guy flew in from California. Just to hang out. Just with us. to hang out with us, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So we're excited to have him. Um basically stabilizer guy and a really good one. Matter of fact, this guy's got a gold medal now manufacturer wise. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Which and, is pretty awesome. And a silver and a silver. So and his company, yeah, the company that, that, uh, that he owns is definitely um, up and comer and we're excited to, to have him on the show today to talk or a lot of tech geeky stuff, which is kind of funny. He didn't bring his brother who's an engineer because he figured that him and I would just talk the whole time. <laughs> which is probably not a bad idea, but hey. Anyways, we want to welcome Josh uh, from Ramrod Stabilizers. Yeah, good to be here, guys. Thank you. How are you doing today, Josh? Doing well. Excited for a full day of archery. Yeah, it's going to be a full two days of archery. A full two days of elk archery. <clears throat> yeah, you're going to see a bunch of nerd camo guys yeah, we'll in get, here. We'll get the camo nerds instead of the yeah. colored bow nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I but love you, it. Well, we got a lot of target guys that will be here, though, I think. Because they all they all hunt for the most part. Yeah, we've got a good variety <laughs> of target hunters. Just a little bit of everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you guys do it all here. We do everything, which is good. I mean, I I'm a, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear this. Probably I'm a target archer first, probably hunter second. If I had to guess, I enjoy it. I join both equally, but one of them makes me a better hunter. Sure. So that's why I do it for the most part. Um, hey, why don't you talk a little bit about your company? Tell us um, kind of like where you guys started, how'd you, how you got into this crazy sport. Sure, yeah. So um, uh, just a bit of my background is I got I got started in archery when I was about eight years old. My uh, uncle, who was a hunter, got me a little, little cheap compound bow from Big Five or something like that. And I had a lot of fun shooting that until I think I put a couple too many arrows into the neighbor's yard. <laughs> and uh, so we had to put a pause on that for a while. And then for my 13th birthday, I had, um, I got a lesson at a Joe Ed club and it was in Riverside, Riverside archery, Riverside, California. Mm -hmm. Shout out to those guys. That's where I got started. And, um, I just loved the sport. I got obsessed with it. I never really fit into a lot of the other team sports like mm -hmm. soccer or baseball. Right. And I really felt like archery was a sport I could relate to and, mm -hmm. and, and do well in. So I shot a lot. And, um, ended up going and doing about five years at the Olympic training center, training with the team there and coach Lee. And during my time there was when I met Joe Fanchon, my current business partner, and also learned a lot about our tree and stabilizers, um, shooting in the wind all day. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> as you, as you guys know, if you've been to that field, we shoot yeah, the, the, the top day. field is like a. God, that's that sucks. It could be it could be sunny in seventy five with no wind anywhere else, and every ounce of wind in Southern California is on, <laughs> that, on field. that field. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So as you can imagine, all of us athletes out there, we're always wondering what can we do to deal with this dang wind a little bit better because it's rough. And um, 
so the the way the company actually got started was a conversation um zach garrett and jeremiah cusick two of my old teammates were having coming back from some rubios and they said hey you know so and so made their own stabilizer they just got some parts made and threw in together and they're shooting it now and they were like do you think it's like that hard to do <laughs> and they're like i don't know we could check it out and try so so um they 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 found some um off the shelf carbon they were able to buy buy a variety of stuff start testing it out and um then they built the first couple of sets i think one for jeremiah to compete with and i think zach had a set as well and they started just trying these things out and seeing well what's good we know we want to make something thin mm -hmm. we know it's it's weak but is it good enough to use uh in a competition and um over, I think about six, eight, 12 months back in around 2014, they, they were making stuff for themselves, for some teammates as, as more people started to see it and become interested in something skinnier to shoot better in the wind. They started making some for some friends and some people from the roadrunner archery club out there. And, you know, it just kind of grew organically over time and more people wanted to check out the stuff and try it because there were some good athletes representing it and being involved in making the stuff. So that's kind of how it all got started. Um, Jeremiah ended up not being super interested in continuing it as a business. He went into the military. Um, Zach and Joe ended up talking more about, well, what if we really make this into a, a business and we make a push for this stuff? And um, the name Ramrods actually came from one of our partners, uh, one of our teammates, I should say, Sean McLaughlin. He was the, uh, the nickname guy. He was always giving everybody nicknames. So we were like, Sean, what, what do we call this company? He was like, oh, call it Ramrods. So that name stuck, uh, obviously. And um, so I joined the company back in um, early 2016, joined with Zach and Joe. And um, I'd gone to school for business, so I kind of was able to bring a little bit of the Bit, what very limited business expertise I had at the time. The corporate um, feel. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And figure out how to pay taxes and stuff like that. And, uh, and yeah, so we've just kind of been running from there, but that's, that's kind of the background of where we got started from. Um, the whole foundation of the company was really based around archers wanting to make stuff that we could go shoot with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the whole thing turning into a business was really more of a, a side effect of that that was never really the original intention that's kind of it's really cool because we always talk to our young people about you know find something you love to do and monetize it find a way to monetize it make a living doing it and you guys are kind of reminds me of the story about you know with colby hanley you know and creating ultra view archery kind of the similar situation similar story just trying to find something make something a little bit better more more technical to what they wanted and now look at you guys now killing it sure yeah i mean you can never go wrong making a product that's that's based on a need that you yourself have and yeah it solves a problem for somebody else too. absolutely well it's interesting because you guys actually i mean being at the training center one of the few products that start that isn't recurve specific you know because all target bows use stabilizers but like you guys started out developing that exclusively for recurve bows we and we have kind of evolved evolved from there over the years correct yeah so that that was one of our bigger earlier challenges was we made something um, early on that we were like, okay, this works for a recurve. It's, it's skinny, mm -hmm. shoots better in the wind. We can put up to, you know, 10 ounces of weight on the front, which covers 98% of the recurve market, I would mm -hmm. say. Um, but 
when we started having a team of athletes shooting for us, we realized, well, these compound shooters need something a little bit more. So that's when we had to start thinking outside the box and going outside of off the shelf carbon and doing a lot more custom layups and things like that yeah. uh, with some different suppliers to find stuff that, that worked. The good thing is that you guys, cause I used to be in the aerospace world and there's a lot of carbon fiber manufacturers in California. Some really good ones actually we used to use. So yeah, for sure. That's, that's, that's a, so, I, I, it's, some, it's somewhere here in the shop, but Nathan Yamaguchi actually gave me a bar. I think we were in an, Antalya at a World Cup. He gave me a bar to mess around with, and that still might be the best feeling stabilizer I've ever screwed on. To my oh, bow. right on, dude! He's, it was just one that you guys had made. It was a your prototype, yeah, that prototype bar that I have. Yeah, that was a prototype one, and we ended up spinning off of that to make one of our later mm -hmm. products based on some of the feedback we got. That's cool. Yeah, it's still around here. That's it's floating around. Yeah, it is. It's, it's I think it's in one of the bins up it's front somewhere. So you um. It, you, you guys come, you got your start in recurve. If you had to yes. guess, I mean, what is your, are you guys about what, 70, 30 recurve to compound right now? That's a good, that's a good question. I think, um, in terms of our team, cause that's really the only people I have real, mm -hmm. real solid data on, but I would say it's probably about 65, 35, somewhere mm, around there. Good. So yeah. we got some good compound representation. Good. Especially this awesome. guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd try. <laughs> yeah. Jason, Jason loves him. That's and, for dang sure. Yeah. And it's not just for me, it wasn't just the product. It was the, the company and the people. Yeah. Um, the way that I found out about these guys was in 2018. I went to, uh, I remember this, the para world ranking para event world in Salt Lake event. city. Yeah. And I had gone to my, my doctor here in, in San Antonio and said, Hey, I've got some really bad trigger points in my back. I need some, some pain injections. So he let some resident have at it with me. And unbeknownst to me, he threw some Botox injections in my back. <laughs> and I'm sitting in Colorado with Kevin Mather, and I'm going, dude, I, I can't hold my bow up. Like, all of a sudden, I just lost my strength. And we couldn't figure it out. We couldn't figure it out until finally I clicked. I was like, this dude put Botox in my back, and it's probably paralyzing my muscles now. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to make my bow as light as possible. And we're sitting there in Salt Lake City, and I look at Kevin's bow, and I'm like, those are some interesting stabilizers that they're, they're really skinny. They're really lightweight. He said, yeah, I, I, I just, I just found this company. They're called Ramrods. You should give them a holler. And I talked to Josh on Tuesday, Friday morning. I had a package in Salt Lake city. He had sent me a couple bars for me to try at that tournament. At the tournament. Yeah. Just saved my weekend. Mm -hmm. And from then on, I was like, okay. Yeah. Not just, not, not only is the product awesome, but these guys are, are the real deal. Yeah, it's more about the relationship. Exactly. Than it is the product. I yeah. mean, you guys obviously probably make a great product, but we are really big on that here at the shop. We like good people. You know, I, I hate to say it, but we've fired some manufacturers based off the fact they're just average people. <laughs> I'm not going to say bad people. <laughs> yeah. I won't begin that soapbox story. No, no, no. No, but, well, that's cool. Um, so how much do you guys are... I always like to ask this question to manufacturers. Are you guys trying to stay on that new product rollout year over year over year train? Or are you guys just going to build a really good bar and run with it for a while? That's a good question. Um, so early on, we were doing new products and entirely revamping a product from the start of the year to the end of the year because so much learning was happening in such a short amount of time that if I let one of our products make it to the end of the year, I mean, I, you know, we'd be 
we'd be selling something we knew we could already make something better. So right. we were kind of evolving products on a month, you know, monthly or quarterly basis very early on in the company because we were learning so much, we were improving so much. Um, but then I would say around 2018, we finally got a product to the point where we were like, this can stay like this for a little while. Yeah. We, we've basically tried everything there is in terms of carbon layups that are going to be a, a price point people can afford found the best quality as far as stiffness and vibration found, you know, a good way to do graphics on this thing, have the machining down tolerances are good. Damping's good. Um, and now we can let this bar live a little bit without right. rushing it out the door. So I would say on average, we're probably looking for a new product to have maybe a two or three year lifespan now for, gotcha. a, for a new bar from when it's released to when it's maybe replaced. And one of the things you may notice if you look at our line is we'll have like a V1, V2, V3, mm -hmm. which is kind of meant to show this product has a little bit of a history behind it. We're improving it. It's still intended for the same purpose and audience, but we're adding those improvements and tweaks to it every year, every couple of years yeah. to make sure that we're always moving forward and that <clears throat> whatever we're selling is what we truly feel is the best possible bar we can make in that category at the time. That's cool. Yeah, that's good. Uh, reason I, I, cause I think the industry needs to do more of that. Um, just coming out year over year, I think is just crazy yeah, from just a manufacturing standpoint. Let people shoot what they have and yeah. get some real feedback instead of being like a, like a car manufacturer that every single year they're bringing something out. So you're like slapping right. a new, yeah. slap a new coat Label. of paint on it. Hey, <laughs> exactly. we changed the steering wheel on this. <laughs> Here exactly. you go. Well, so. and here's a question, right? How often does a company make a tweak to a product that's excelling in the market and people love because they feel that pressure to change something for mm -hmm. the next year? Mm -hmm. If What if you did a great job and mm -hmm. a change doesn't need to be made right now? Gosh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Choir. Yeah. I mean, I always use a 1911 gun as an it's example. Been around. It's been One, two around. world wars been around for a hundred. Exactly. Years. You build yeah. a great product that'll last, and, and that's why they appreciate, and that's why things in archery depreciate because we change it out every eleven months, ten months. Yeah. Right. And it makes it very, very hard. I know you guys have a unique process. That I want you to talk through a little bit. Um, I've always been kind of. Um, geeked out about this i know when jason got his first set of bars that you guys did the tungsten in mm -hmm. i was kind of uh you know i was skeptical i thought well, how would tungsten powder what would it do that doesn't make any sense it sure sounds like a gimmick right yeah exactly and then you then you look at price point i'm thinking okay these bars are gonna cost 600 bucks you know for a front bar because <laughs> tungsten's not cheap it is not um, and I imagine if I had to guess tungsten powder, is it a byproduct of manufacturing that you guys are able to capture or is it actually a material that's made? My understanding is the stuff we're using is actually a material that's made. I think they use it for doing some sort of mold casting. Gotcha. So they'll pour that super fine powder in there and it lets them mold it into whatever shape they want to do. Gotcha. But we're basically buying that material before it gets okay. made into uh, a tungsten point or, you know, whatever else it may whatever. be. Gotcha. So just for you, the listeners out there, so Josh and, and Ramrods has, are, are using a tungsten powder. I think you said tungsten and iron. Um, in our in our Wraith bar, we do have a tungsten and some other metal in there, yeah. a little bit of a blend. And then uh, we also have the Targa bar, which has just tungsten. Just tungsten. I guess to kind of explain the whole theory behind all this stuff and maybe give, give an explanation to people who are curious about that is we've coming from the background of trying to be as wind efficient as possible. That mm -hmm. really was the, the core starting idea. Anytime you put something on the outside of the bow, 
it can be blown around by the wind. And yep. it may be a very small change, but especially when you're putting it at the end of a 30 or 33 inch bar, that stuff makes a difference. So one of the questions we we kicked around when we were trying to come up with something damping because we sold bars with no damping for quite a while. Uh, it was, well, what can we do with the inside to use that, that space more efficiently? And so we came up with both um, a rubber damping system and also a metal damping system that could be used either both or just one, depending on what somebody's looking for. So we have the um, VibroCore is our rubber internal damping, and that comes standard on every product we sell now. Mm -hmm. That is um, pretty dang lightweight and does a really good job of taking out, you know, the harshest of the vibrations, keeps things a little bit more enjoyable. And then um, we we actually had an, an entirely different product, which was a, um, a four ounce weight that was hollowed out. And we filled that weight with tungsten powder. And that was actually something that we spent quite a while on and actually ended up getting a utility patent for um, on that idea of using the, the tungsten powder for vib vibration. And then um, it was one of our shooters from the Netherlands, Steve Weiler, who I mean, that guy's, he's been with us since maybe early 2017. One of our, one of our early huge guys that believed in us. And at the time he hadn't done quite as well as he ended up doing after we got together, but still a good shooter. Mm -hmm. it, like right after he signed with you guys, he ended up winning, was it Shanghai? Yeah. Yeah. He, he won, he won in Shanghai like and, and ended right up, away. ended up ranked number one in the world for mm -hmm. a good chunk of time. And I mean, that was that was huge for the company and yeah we definitely built that relationship at a great time and um steve liked the powder weight but he was like look do you think you guys could put this in the bar and i was like well i mean we can do anything okay. i don't know if it'll be good i'll build you <laughs> one and i'll send it to you and you tell me <laughs> so uh so we spent a couple of weeks figuring out well how are we going to contain this in there how are we going to make sure this thing doesn't leak and fall apart because i mean the powder we're using is is basically almost the consistency of like a powdered sugar it's super well, fine i remember easton used to have their old ac bars that had aluminum powder <clears throat> inside right. of and mm -hmm. i remember uh when you guys were first stock, talking about doing the powder mm -hmm. inside the bar i'm like man that sucked because i i've cracked a couple stabilizers before mm -hmm. and i specifically remember breaking that easton bar I was shooting sure. inside my parents' house, breaking that Easton bar, and same thing. It's about the consistency of powdered sugar and having <laughs> an ounce of aluminum powder, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's like a paper plate <laughs> worth mm -hmm. of weight. <laughs> powder fall out into the carpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we figured something out. We sent it over to Steve, and I was like, you know, what do you think? And he was like, dude, this is awesome. You got to make this a product. And I was like. Let, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll find a way to manufacture this efficiently. And, and, um, we originally were trying to figure out, do we make this as an add-on? Do we make it a separate line? How do we do it? Can we make it a cartridge you put in and remove? Well, not really. So we ended up settling on just, you could buy a bar with standard damping or you could have both. So the, the, our tungsten bar will have that tungsten damping at the distal end and vibro core through most of the rest of the shaft. And, um, and that feature actually ended up being tremendously popular. And I think right now we're at like 40% of sales have that tungsten powder added in it, which is like a huge percentage. A lot of people are loving it. And it costs somewhere around 40-ish dollars, I think, to add that. And when, when you think about three ounces yeah, that's of weight cheap. <laughs> and it's doing damping. I mean, if you grab right. a couple ounces of weight in a damper, you're going to be 
spending forty bucks. I mean, you're forty bucks anyway. Three stainless yeah. steel weights is. 30, 40 bucks. Yeah, it's depending where you get them, right? It's mm-hmm. 10 bucks an ounce minimum. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. So we, we look at that as both uh, a feature that provides a lot of performance, provides good value, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's really what we aim to do. And it's been proven, up, you know, just recently at the Olympics, winning a gold medal that uh, it was. And that, that was, I heard, windy as crud up there. It was super windy. It was yeah. super windy up there. And um, I mean, I, I'm sure having those skinny stabilizers didn't hurt. No. So how far at the end of the, of the stabilizer, how, how much the material is in there is like three inches, four inches. Or? Um, it depends on the internal diameter of okay. the bar, but it's roughly around three inches or so. Gotcha. And that three inches weighs about two to three ounces. It's exactly three ounces. Yeah. Exactly three ounces. That's we cool. Weigh it out. Cause so everybody runs, everybody's going to run three ounces no matter what. Yeah. So Correct. obviously like the ultras that are your skinniest diameter, it's going to spread out a little bit further versus correct the, the correct. just because of the ID. k2s yeah, or like sure. matterhorns sure they're right. a lot bigger so have you guys tested how how from a 30 inch bar to a 31 whatever do they handle weight well even down to your micros yeah so we actually have a weight recommendation for not only every product line that we have but for okay. every length of of that product line gotcha. we only do the weight recommendations on the long bar because the sidebar is so much different anyway just because that that right. length difference but yeah so we recommend and i'm embarrassed i don't have all these completely memorized but roughly like three to 14 or 12 ounces depending on the length for our ultra bar that's our our thinnest rod the half inch mm-hmm. and then um, k2 takes that up to about 16 17 ounces and then the vector um we had people putting 30 on it Jeez. and being pretty happy with that and um, we do have one bar that's stiffer, the Matterhorn, and that one's kind of like the No Limit. It's basically the Ultra Bar on steroids. It's using all high mod carbon all the way through, mm-hmm. big thick wall. And um, I've never had anyone tell me it wasn't stiff enough, so I think it's stiff <laughs> enough. You can throw a dumbbell on that thing. <laughs> that's awesome, though. That's good. Because yeah. that's one of the things, and I'm sure you guys have learned in the compound world, these guys run some insane weights. Between Rio, yep. Rio and Stefan Hansen. Oh I mean, Lord. it's not as bad as it, every, five years ago. Everybody was bolting 20 plus ounces yeah, on the rebar. Bar. It's not, <laughs> not quite as bad anymore. That fad's yeah. kind of gone downhill a little bit, but right. right. I mean, still guys are still running a lot of weight. And, and uh, you look at Mikey's front bar. He runs just, 33 I, ounces. I, I remember front. doing a press event with Mikey and the report and somebody asked him like, Hey, what are you doing? You're not holding well what changes do you make or what can you look at? And he goes, Oh, I just add more weight. <laughs> like straight up honest, honest answer from him too. Just add That's, more so weight. That's crazy. So, uh, how long have you guys been in business since 17? Um, yeah, well, uh, 2016. So yeah, 2016. we're coming up on about, so you guys are the now. Industry right now. Yeah. I mean, Kinda. there's, there's, some, um, I guess, newer players in the stabilizer world, but those are coming from some more established companies. So right. I think as far as just bar, a company that does just bars, we're probably one of the newer ones out there. Yeah. Because you're seeing a lot of companies, you know, like Trueball, for example, they're, you know, they're branching out into that stabilizer right. market. You know, I think there, there are a lot of firms that are trying to just take the bow top to bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this is a black Eagle bow or this is a Trueball Excel bow. Um, so I get it, but I've always said that, I don't know. Stay, stay true to your core. I mean, well, you can have a company that does one product and does it really, really well. well. I'm, well I'm going to buy their Spot product. Hog. Spot Hog's a great example of that. I They're mean, a site company. 
the fact that you guys are able to sustain yourself and i mean i think air i mean between arrows and stabilizers are the two most saturated markets on oh, our gosh, side yes. of, uh, the fact that you guys can only make stabilizers and be able to be more than relevant especially in less than five years kind of <laughs> yeah it's pretty proves good. how good of a bar it is too yeah it's uh space is a little tight in the stabilizer industry right now but um it wasn't that way when we got in there was a little more room and now it's it's mm-hmm. really blowing up but it's, we're holding our own and we're still growing well, massively through this time so you know at the end of the day bridger always says this and it's hilarious you know it's a carbon tube <laughs> you know and but honestly it is it's not that hard to manufacture you get a you know machine shop to make some end caps and boom you got a stabilizer bar but there's so much more to it than that i'm i am firm believer i don't care what the bar looks like i want to know what's in it that yeah, sure. is the science that is where i think bars separate themselves and that's where a lot of people i think make that mistake a lot of the new players are like oh this this company did it yeah 100 well, percent. they don't see all the science and all the well, research and all the time that you guys spent and all the testing and, and everything well, that that's goes what into they it. do and then they, they put some cool graphics on it and get a really cool company to make a cool sticker you know for it and bam you know you got a stabilizer company but i'm gonna tell you we we ran into one. I'm not going to name who it is. Get a marketing genius out there, and now and everybody's buying it. We we sucked it in hook, line, and sinker on one company, and I we started having failures. I ended up getting ticked off, and I took a saw and cut it in half and was, like, shocked. Was <laughs> there was like, nothing in it? And nothing in it. And I was like, no freaking wonder. You know, these things are this way, and you know, we no longer sell them. But I think there's a lot of that out there, yeah. a lot. You know, because there's some guys that bring, one of our staff shooters, Jonathan Stein, did this once. He went online. I forget. I'm not going to name it. I forget who it was, but I think I know. But he bought a set of bars for, and Jonathan is like 6'3". He's a giant, runs a ton of weight. <laughs> and he brought him into the shop one day and set him up, up in the back, went to go shoot him. And Jonathan probably runs, I don't know, 16, 12, 16 on the front and well over 30 on the back bar. <laughs> he's made one shot. He turned around and looked at me. He's like, Oh my God, this thing vibrates. So his bow was still vibrating when he's holding it. Turn it into a tuning fork. Oh, he, I think he got both bar, the front bar and the sidebar. He got for like $149. And I'm like, yeah, that's uh, you got a, you got a piece of repurpose mop handles. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like you guys are saying, yeah, it is, it is a piece of carbon with two caps. And, and honestly, when it comes to just holding the, you know, holding some weight on the bow, that will do the job. And for some people, that's all you need. But quality of materials makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a lot of cases, you are kind of getting what you pay for. And, oh, and no from doubt. the very beginning, we were one of the higher price points on the market because we were buying the absolute best carbon we could get our hands on. And I think that was one of the reasons we were able to come in as a very small company and still be recognized as these guys are making quality and they care about who shoots it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big deal for sure. It is. It is, absolutely. So you guys are not only just U.S. shooters. You've got shooters across the world. Yeah, we've got a team of, well, I'll say between promotional staff and professional staff, we have a team of about 350 athletes around the world right now. No kidding? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty big. About 20 or 30 or so World Cup shooters. Mm -hmm. We had about 13 athletes representing us in, uh, sorry, 15 athletes representing us in um, the Olympics. In the Olympics. And um, it's crazy because I think back to 2016, we just had one guy who was one of the the co-founders of the company. And now here we are four years later with 15 athletes and a gold and silver medal. And wow, what a. That's a big deal. It's a different picture than four years ago or five years ago now, right? So I'm going to ask a tough question. I like tough questions. This is a good one though. 
some people won't like answering it. I hate going down these roads sometimes, but um, because we we always talk about the me and Bridger especially have this love hate relationship with internet influencer dudes. <laughs> um, I think, <laughs> like I he's, think shaking, he's already shaking his head. I think Josh and I talked a lot about uh, a little bit about this last night. Well, so. and I, I'm just curious. You know, you say you have 350 athletes roughly across the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you? Can you directly correlate sales to those individuals? Does that help you that much? Or is it sometimes is it just a feel good thing you've got out there to help support an athlete, you know, realizing their dreams to go shoot? Da, 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 da. I like that question. Um, there are definitely a, a ton of people on our team that I can look at their name and say, oh, I remember they brought so and so shop to come talk to me, right. or they brought these two athletes, or, you know, this top level athlete brought a bunch of more developmental athletes to me or vice versa. This developmental athlete brought me a pro level shooter that he's friends with at his range. So I think we've gotten way more back from our team than we've even been able to provide in return to them. Um, And sure, you know, when you have a team of that size, I don't talk to every single person every week and there's going to be some people who kind of slip by and maybe we don't interact a whole bunch and maybe those people don't stick around for very long, but we've we are very blessed to have some awesome people representing us out there that's good that's really good because it's so it's always one of those polarizing topics and people don't you know i get the question all the time from you know what, what, what i gotta do to be on pro staff you know how do i get this or how do i get that and you know some people that is their entire purpose in purpose shooting, and shooting to have absolutely pro staff title i call them mm-hmm. patch pirates you know they <laughs> this all they want to just slather that shirt with patches professional pro staffers to put like 15 different companies on their mm-hmm. instagram on, bio. on their on yeah instagram and their facebook oh, for, yeah. yeah staff or staff at and they'll have but i think 18 companies listed like we were talking last night i think you guys did it the smart way where you you did get a big team put your product in a lot of people's hands and they were able to showcase it, take it around the world, you know, show it to different people, and then attract quality yeah. shooters that were going to give you the feedback and help you develop products and well, you know, see where you're at. It's exactly what we did. I mean, I get I get a lot of heat all the time. I have what's called an advisory staff, which Jason's a part of, that mm-hmm. runs my shooting staff because I have to have separation as a retailer. They're still my customer, even though they shoot for me. So they run everything, and I get a lot of heat from guys sometimes. Man, you got such a big team. I think we're up to, like, what, 41 shooters. Yeah, something like that. But, Josh, what you just said actually resonated with me because I can actually go down that list and name names of guys that have, yeah, he brought five people in, in last month. or You know, that they're bringing people into the fold that are buying product. You know, they're shooters. And they're, that shooting is actually growing because we get more and more people that want to be a part of that, you know, because it's correct. We don't do it off of how great an archer you are. I care less. You know, I want good people. You know, and that's what we get that feedback a lot. You know, I think that's awesome because it sounds like you guys did or we did a very similar thing. Yeah, that having that team that has your product throughout in the field is absolutely critical. And we're, I mean, like you can tell listening to how this whole thing started, we, we sold stuff to people we knew and people who saw us using it and people that we had a personal relationship with. Mm-hmm. I'm one dude, I can't have a personal relationship with every shop yeah. all the way around the world. So yeah. I need a team of 300 people that can be in every country right. that can have those relationships with the, sh- with the shop, with the shooters in their area, be at local competitions mm-hmm. and massive competitions like the Olympics and just kind of help be my relationship builders around the world. And then yeah. my job is to maintain the relationship with them. Gotcha. You know, what I think is cool is that you guys are shooters. 
Yeah. Shooters. Yeah. Shooters We've making shot a products for shooters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just shot a couple of so, so be honest with me. How much you get to shoot now? It's it's not a whole lot right now. Yeah. So so my life pretty much looks like Monday to Friday, running the company with Joe yeah. and um, getting product out, building stuff, doing meetings, doing customer service, doing marketing. Yeah. And then um, from there, I'll, I'll go fly out for the weekend and I coach about a little over 20 archers, oh, cool. um, target recurve, uh, middle school and high school. So I'm definitely involved in like being at some competitions, working right. with athletes, still staying involved in in the sport i'm not just sitting in my office all day but joe and i have been talking a lot about dude we need to get shooting again because mm -hmm. i mean you know and joe we've got you know previous world cup winner um world championships teams you sat for many years um you know i've i've shot quite a bit as well and and made a couple youth world championships teams so we've got those uh, you know we have that history yeah. from the past but we we think it's time to kind of get back I, into it i more. think that you guys need to market the living daylights out of that yeah and the reason i say that i I will always err to the side of an archer making products and manufacturing products for archers because mm -hmm. you guys, you guys live it, you know, you live it, breathe it, you've been there, done that. Because we got a lot of people in this industry that are business people that are creating products that have no idea. Hey, no clueless. I mean, Make, I hate to say it. Making products that sell good instead we, of ones that actually solve an issue. So I mean, sure. well, like you'd brought up Colby and Chris with yeah. Ultraview earlier. Yeah. 90% of the time, like a product that's really good, you know, be it like Ultraview or Ramrod Stabilizer, it's something that we, like as a shooter, you're like, hey, I'm the only person that could fix this problem or, mm -hmm. you know, you're the only, you know exactly what your issue is, so yep. it's easier to fix. Mm -hmm. and a lot of times good products like that come out of trying to fix I a mean, problem. Trying to fix it. Yeah. Well, yeah. How many times you get on the range and you're like, God, I wish this would not do this and then is it i mean if, if i could write cad i'd probably be a billionaire because i i use <laughs> jb weld say. on everything no. about every piece of equipment i own to try and make i'm gonna he's making it into he's something missing, that i want to use yeah he's missing two big sponsors right now jb weld and dremel yeah <laughs> guys if you're out there and you know any corporate dudes bridger deaton is available and he uses your crap Every day. <laughs> he needs to be wearing a JB Weld jersey and a Dremel hat. Or I'll wear a big red white red oh, white jersey. Yeah, but no, it's it's true. You've got to, sometimes you get to solve problems on the go. Oh, and when I first came into archery, I was very careful. Like I had to use parts that came out of manufacturers. Right. After hanging out with Bridger and you guys here in the shop, I'm I'm jerry rigging stuff oh, myself. You're, like, you're, I gotta make stuff work. Your wife was really, really bitching about that last night. Well, like Jason tinkers all the time. He never leaves his stuff alone. And I don't, I don't understand it. He'd be so much better if he would just shoot his bow the way it is. But no, he's tinkering and cutting and grinding. and <laughs> Got to. I mean, I, I, I came out. from a not not a college degree engineering background, but right. I was I was. I was a mechanic in the in the army, right? And I worked aviation. I worked on helicopters. And sometimes when our aircraft and we're flying, for example, out in Afghanistan, we we have a problem. We land out in the middle of somewhere. Can't tell you how many aircraft I made fly with duct tape, uh, uh, Leatherman, and a little bit of elbow grease, and we're back up in the air. I could not believe when we were talking with um, Marco and John uh, Roger, mm -hmm. and I had no idea that they would fabricate their own armor. On you vehicles, fabricate your armor. Vehicles. I mean, the, the amount everything. of yeah, the amount of field fabrication that goes on, I, I guess, in the armed forces is phenomenal. Yeah. It's unbelievable because they, they basically said, "Yeah, we got to make our stuff work better." Unfortunately, well, we're not getting supported by our own country because of 
money and everything else. Well, not just that, but like Marco's in the field all the time. Mm-hmm. But for us, we, we had to get somewhere established headquarters. We had to establish a, a hut to where we kept all our, all our stuff. Yeah. So we became carpenters. We became yeah. electricians. We became yep. AC repairmen aside from being mechanics and everything and not to get away from the, the subject, but I had to learn how to create different things. And when I, when I finally started hanging around with you guys and I was, I started getting to, learn more i developed that that mentality of all right it's not going to blow up in my hands no. it's okay for me to run my limb bolts yeah. and and them not being dead nuts even yeah I, I can take a turn off here i can add a washer here i can mm-hmm. definitely grind this out and thread this in yeah yeah gotcha i'm good and and that's how that's how good products come out oh there's no opinion. doubt about it solve a problem that you've gotten make it better yeah so josh you guys are now dabbling because you, you you definitely started this business on a target mentality that's probably what 85 oh, yeah, 100 100 exactly yeah. so now you're starting to dabble into this hunting world we are yeah we are that's so, got to be a big change it's a big change and, and it's there's a ton of similarities but there's also a ton of differences yeah, absolutely. at the same time we recognize that um we've we've learned over the last five years how to make a killer target bar I can, you know, I can take a product from looking at, uh, you know, a target market need, build a bar exactly for them, build it right, market it right, have all the features they need, hit the price point, no problem. Right. But hunting's a different beast, so yeah. we're, we're learning that now. And really what we're trying to do is we're trying to take, which I think you guys may be able to relate to a little bit, is we're trying to say hunting is different, but hunters are trying to be accurate too. Yep. Mm-hmm. They also need vibration gone. They also need to hold the bow still. Yep. So obviously lengths and looks are a little bit different, but outside of that, I think um, damping is a little bit more important, but the accuracy and the stability is, is critical. So we're looking at basically trying to say, what have we learned from target? How can we put that into a hunting bar? And what are the features that they're going to really need to shoot as well as they possibly can? Right. So we kind of took going back to um, the using the inside of the bar a little bit more. We thought, well, if later we decide we need to, we can go get some rubber, you know, thing injection molded somewhere and throw it on the outside of the bar if that's what hunters are just going to cry for. Mm-hmm. But let's try using the inside of the bar just like we do in the target world. So we put we put the vibro core in there just like the target series. And then because of how successful and popular that tungsten damping was in the target bars, we said, let's lighten it up a little bit let's not make it quite so heavy because i know not every hunter wants a you know bar that weighs six ounces and let's just throw we'll throw a little bit of tungsten we'll throw a, a mix of a couple other metals in there lighten it up a little bit but try to still keep some of that complexity and variance in mm-hmm. particle size density weight all that good stuff and try to see how does that work and and the initial feedback was really good we sent it to several people one of them being jason um and we haven't had a single complaint. I mean, everybody that shoots it says, yeah, yeah, this works. So we're, we're now kind of in the stage where we're ready to push this thing a little bit more, get it into more people's hands. You're right. Part of the reason we're here to see you guys and brought a bunch of bars for people to try. Um, and yeah, we're just gonna, we're gonna learn more, keep building stuff. Uh, my guess is in the hunting world, we'll probably have a, a period of kind of that quicker iteration and, and improving on things as we go. But, right. but that's, Honestly, my favorite part of this business is it's never the same problem every day. You get yeah. to you get to come up with a cool idea and 
I get to be the one that builds it and nobody can tell me no. <laughs> I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and, Very true. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's really where we're at now. And and um, Jason and I were talking about maybe getting a bow set up for me. While yeah, I heard we, he asked me about that last night. <laughs> so well, you know what's um, cool about that is that we do that. We talk, we say this all the time. We're, we're talking to our customers. We're trying to take that technology and that target bow hanging on that wall and put it into your hunting bow. Because, you got to. because this thing is accurate as all get out. I mean, it's made to hit a quarter size dot at 50 yards, mm -hmm. you know, and we're trying to duplicate that same level of tolerance with our hunting bows. Because to your point, I think those guys want to be accurate. And we're, we are trying to push the envelope of how accurate can you be um, with lethality in mind at distance. Let's Correct. get out there. I mean, these bows are so good now. I mean, the, the days of, remember back in the day, 20 yards was... The holy grail. Oh, you, you shoot 50 yards. That's an irresponsible young man, and you shouldn't be doing that. I used to hear guys out all the time. But now these bows are as accurate at 50 and 60, 70 yards as they are at 20. I mean, they'll do the job. Sure. The material's good. The workmanship's there. Um, and you, know, you want to have that target accuracy without yeah. having to throw on a 20, 30-inch bar on the front. Correct. Or a massive amount Even of Even though weight. Levi, Levi runs like a 20-some-inch wind bar. <laughs> yeah. He runs a damn target bow out there. He's crazy. But no, I, I agree. And I, I love that you guys are doing that because I think it's that's the right marketing technique and what you need to drive because we're, we're selling it to our customers, you know, and they're, mm. they're definitely, um, matter of fact, it's, we, ha I have a policy that you put a set of dual stabilizers, I mean a front bar sidebar on and you don't like it. You can bring it back and it's a hundred percent money back guarantee. And I, I think, I think we have had one set returned in five years. Because I know how much it helps. If you go from shooting just a front bar to a front and a side, you're not going to be disappointed. No. Yeah. There's no, no way. A lot of guys can't justify costs. You know, they go out and they buy a, a limb saver stabilizer for $45 and they think, okay, right. this is it. It works. And dude, it's not doing anything for you. I don't even all, carry those bars. All, all it does is make you $45 more poor. More poor. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we explain the fact that we are, I won't carry a bar that's not functional. You know, I don't, we don't sell what I call bow ornaments and that's what half those bars are to mm. be honest. And then we will get them into those, that, that dual stabilizer. And like I said, we've just never, it's never been an issue. They, people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Cause the first thing they think about is I'm making my bow so heavy, mm. but if you do it right and you've got all end weight on that carbon tube that weighs less, you know, an ounce, ounce and a half, you're actually dispersing your, your center of gravity out, which is making the bow feel lighter, even though it's heavier. It's just going to handle better. It's going to handle better. Yeah. Especially and, in the wind. And when you're looking at the cost of, you know, middle of the road kits between 150 to 20 for a full setup, let's say, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how much are you going to spend to go on a hunt? How much did your truck exactly. cost? How much did your tags cost? How much did it cost to, you know, yeah. get your wife to let you get out of the house for, <laughs> for a week? Do you, do you really want to save a hundred bucks to, to miss? Yeah, exactly. No. Don't go out there and screw up your shot on, on a, something that you could, have, you could have made better you know back in the day we used to say that you know, i used to i was the guy that said look there's two things you do not want to skimp on skimp on your bow because any bow will kill any animal but don't skip on your rests don't skimp on your arrows but now things are getting to the point where you don't want to skimp on your sight you don't want to skip on your bars i mean i think all those pieces are being becoming so hypercritical to be inaccurate based on the type of hunting that people want to do nowadays. Yeah, exactly. I it's mean, it's not your average. I'm going to go sit in a tree stand, tree stand at 20 yards. Yeah. 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 People well, want to go out and do all this, this crazy adventure hunting, bring the right equipment. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're kind of lucky that that's what makes us unique that since we do a lot of Western, mm -hmm. you know, elk, mule deer, antelope type setups, 
and i mean you could take anybody with almost any bar not even just your guys and go out and have them shoot at 50 yards without any stabilizers on and then even putting a 10 and a eight inch front bar and back bar on there and it's wild how big of a difference it makes mm-hmm. yeah for sure for yeah. sure so i, I was going to say because if it was me and my my you're, you guys are probably doing it the right way but if you have if you look at a target audience that i think you need to be attacking or going after right now it is the western mountain hunter mm-hmm. um the midwestern guys and bridgers from iowa i'm from ohio i mean those are the guys that are screwing on a eight inch piece of plastic mm-hmm. <laughs> rubber. As I say, when, and they're good with it when i worked at shields in west des moines it was like pulling teeth to get guys to even worry about yeah. putting, or to even get them to screw a single eight inch bar on the front right <laughs> and down here and you know i had maybe 10 percent of my customers that would shoot dual bar setups right and down here about maybe 10 percent don't no mm-hmm. exactly yeah so but our market is that western mountain long range shooter that wants to be mm-hmm. lethal at 80 100 yards and sure. that is where I think that dual bar system is so important. That's for sure. So we've got that, that Wraith bar now is my first entry kind of into the hunting market. And, and it's, it was kind of designed to sort of be a, a hybrid of sorts that you could take into bow hunter class. Mm-hmm. You could go hunting with it. You can go shoot field with it, whatever you want to do. Um, and, and I think a lot of the people that are going to resonate with our brand and our message are probably not just hunting they're probably also doing some competition of some kind so we felt like that was a good bar to uh to bring to the market first and we'll just see where it grows from there and i'm excited for it you know are you guys going to look at uh always keep in mind or have that hybrid type we call those those guys the hybrids of our sport where they're you know they're buying one bow and they're shooting some 3d tournaments in bow hunter class and then jumping over to hunt you know in an instant um, are you guys looking at doing just a bar that's for the guy who doesn't do that? He's just going to hunt. I mean, and the, the, you know, and the reason I'm going down this road is that that'll be a price point type situation, you know? Correct. Correct. I think we definitely want to be everywhere yeah. at one point. Um, but we like taking one step at a time and making sure we yeah. get something right before we take the next step in another direction or into another right. audience. So I think that hybrid kind of hunting and, and target combo I think that is a good place for us to start yep. because we can understand them better yeah. and they mm-hmm. can understand us better. Right. Once we make those relationships, I think that's also going to put me in touch with a lot of people who can help me learn yeah. and, and grow into the next area that we need to be. It's kind of cool. Cause you know, they're your, your guys' marketing strategy has been kind of backwards. What most people would do <laughs> seriously, because most people would start a company building a, a, a product for the masses. Let's get, you know, let's get a hundred thousand archers to buy our $10 stabilizer. And then so you know it's like this it's a the triangle you guys did, did it upside down you didn't say you went small group with re- target <laughs> <Exactly>. recurve <laughs> open up with I was, I was gonna say you pick the smallest but yet probably the highest end you know customer demand from a recurve archer you know people don't realize olympic recurve guys bridger would you agree are they worse than compound guys or as bad i mean <laughs> josh is josh is like, yeah. <laughs> i mean i thought on a limb and and Call them, I, I normally call them the divas of archery. <laughs> the divas of archery. I've never seen someone tinker with their bow so much to get it to within like a millimeter of spec. I never knew what a what a, a bow square was for until I saw yeah. somebody at the, the the technical term is stupid recurve tool. Yeah, <laughs> stupid recurve exactly. Tool, yeah. Well, I always got a kick. I shot Olympic recurve when I was a kid, and I always drilled back to the fact that no matter what I did with all that, I could not make this perfect. 
And mm. because of that fallacy, none of that shit mattered. <laughs> you sure. know, you got to get this right first, you know, and then. So I always was amazed that they were always so OCD. And he's talking yeah, about crazy. his fingers in the release. Yeah, my fingers. I'm sorry. Yeah. We're not filming today. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I forgot. But yeah, if you don't get your release right, no, it doesn't matter what doesn't you matter do. It doesn't matter what you do on the rest of it, even though they'll tie on everything on the planet. You know, do that recurve oh, to try goodness. to make it do something. <laughs> a plunger. <laughs> the clicker. A plunger. Just put a rest on it. Some guys run the limb clickers and the freaking sight clickers. And I've seen the craziest stuff on recurve bows. My my favorite thing was always going to USA Archery shoots and there'd be a circle of thirty recurve archers doing arm circles yeah. and like bend over <laughs> yeah. stretches and stuff oh, yeah. and all those compounders are showing up thirty minutes before a shoot time right. with the with the red over with a Red Bull <laughs> and a McDonald's sandwich. What's stretching? We're, yeah, yeah. We're, we're all athletes here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So you have have you ever shot a compound? I've shot a bit of compound, but okay. just recreationally. Recreation. Like never competed or anything like so that. So your your wheelhouse is in uh, recurve. Pretty heavily in recurve. Heavily yeah. recurve. Gotcha. Okay. But we're learning and, and we definitely have a team of people that we can reach out to at any given time and, yeah. and get the feedback we need. And, and honestly, even if I was shooting compound right now, I've got people on the World Cup team shooting our stuff. Yeah. If I really want to know how something shoots or what they need, yeah. I'm just going to ask those guys and they're going to help me do it. Right. Yeah. But that being said, I do want to start competing in compound as well, just to get more experienced and have fun. Right. Yeah. I, I got to stay in touch with our community. I want to be a participant in my industry. I don't want to be, I, you know, 10 years from now, I don't want to be that guy that it's like, yeah, when I was 15, I used to shoot. Well. <laughs> I want to be able to say, yeah, I shoot last weekend. Here's where I was. Here's what I was right. doing last right. summer. I went hunting over here and, yeah. and, you know, just, just be able to relate to people better. And, and, it's, and have more fun. Yeah, it's awesome when, when you get to meet the owners of companies. Like I was uh, in Yankton when I was shooting flights. Wound up making it all the way to the finals of my flight, and I'm shooting against this guy, and he's all decked out in AAE stuff. And I, thankfully, I didn't open my big mouth because come to find out it was, uh, what was his name? Nick, uh, Nick Fisher. Yeah, Nick Fisher, the owner of AAE that I was shooting against. <laughs> nice. Um, I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. The owner of the company is actually out here right. shooting. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so when you start doing that, people are going to be out there and be like, oh, I saw those bars. Oh, okay. He's the owner of the company. Yeah. Sweet. Let's go talk to him and pick his brain about it. And next thing you know, your team's going to start growing. People are going to start associating you with a competitor again. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my, good. one of my favorite things we get to do in this industry is just go out and connect with people and relate with them about the products and what they need and, mm -hmm. and how things are going and just, you know, interacting with somebody that believed in something that I made and yeah. paid money to have it is just, it's the best feeling in the world. And, and I feel like they deserve all my time and attention to talk to them and get to know them and, and show them some appreciation. Yeah. yeah. Don't, ever, don't ever lose that because not a lot of manufacturers feel that way. I mean, that's a, that's a big issue I think in this industry right now. So you guys, you guys will do well if you keep that as a, as you know, steady the course, stay you know? personable. Yeah. And absolutely. approachable. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's cool. Are you actually thinking about shooting competitively as a compound archer or are you just going to do it recreationally? Um, I don't know if I see myself doing like USA archery target, but right. I would like to do some field and 3D type stuff. I yeah. think that it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a blast. 3D is 
So let this me guy, you little the... thing, I I talked so much crap to oh these guys God, for shooting for years because I I came into the shop and I was the only USA archery shooter for the longest time, mm-hmm. and all these guys, all they kept on talking about was, oh, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna shoot 3D and you know I was always running my mouth, hey, you can go shoot your little foam animals and blah blah, blah go hang <laughs> out in the woods, go hang out, shoot your rubber deer, exactly, shoot your rubber deer and play your banjo and blah blah blah, and and then I go and shoot one, I was like. Okay, this is kind of cool. <laughs> and for me, the big thing was I found out I could do it. Um, some of the courses were very accessible, so I went out and did it, did it locally. And I decided, all right, I did it once. I'm going to do it again. And next thing you know, I go to a pro-am, and I was like, dude, I'm doing this for real, for real, for real. And I've been nagging these guys, like, I'm going to do it for real and try and shoot pro next year. See how it goes. So you, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? We had a blast in Metropolis. Uh, Metropolis. Yeah, it was awesome. It was it was way better than any USA archery shoot I've ever been to because I was not sitting on the line burning myself. I was in the woods. I know. It was how can nice I do that cool, to you guys? Right? <laughs> well, that's what you're going to find. Your love about it, Jason, I think was – it was funny. We get a lot of uh, USAT archers now because COVID actually changed the landscape for target archery a little bit. And – because USA archery events kind of shut down completely for a while, we've seen a lot of cross-pollinization over into the ASA 3D world. And I always get a kick out of the fact we used to get these phone calls all the time because we we help a couple of clubs here hosting and helping, driving you know their business. And uh, I used to get text messages and calls all the time. Oh my gosh, Scott, it's two weeks for that tournament. You know, I haven't registered yet. Is can we get in? Or you know, we're gonna. We're going to miss it. You know, is there going to be enough room? And I'm like, yeah, bro, you sign up the morning of the tournament. And they're like, what? And then you go experience that. Like Bridger always tells everybody, and I think it's hilarious. I mean, you've never pre-registered for an yeah, ASA event. Like Josh and I were actually talking about it this morning <laughs> when I was building strings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just show up. You to, show up. <laughs> and we were talking about it earlier. There would be times where Arizona Cup, like, you're sitting there waiting for registration to open yeah. so you can get onto the sh- so you can get to the shoot. And at the time, I mean, you were an RA when you said guy forgot to register. You, yeah, and it was literally I, th- two days was, after registration. There was some situation open. where either I was supposed to register or someone from the team was supposed to register us, and it didn't happen when it was supposed to. And I remember there was a whole yeah a whole but thing about I mean, trying to get in. He, resident athlete at the Olympic Training Center can't get into the yeah. can't get into a world ranking event. Uh, I'll be, you know, at the time I was on world on the world cup team on USAT and I need it, you know, you have to have those tournaments right. for ranking. Right. And like, I have zero opportunity to sign up unless I'm sitting there like a crackhead hitting, hitting reload, waiting yeah, for the buying a deal to ticket. Open. Yeah. <laughs> waiting for it to load so I can register. Yeah. And, that, and that's but, probably, a, you know, and I've said this for years, I mean, cause I shot us archery when I was young and man, they can't get out of their own way. To, to, to make a successful business in my opinion. I mean, they, they are because they are the Olympic, the only, they're the only, you know, avenue to the Olympics essentially. And that's mm-hmm. why I think that keeps them relevant. But if, if they were running their own business plan without that, that carrot at the end of, of the, of the line, then I don't, I think they'd fail because it's just amazing. It's not that big of an issue. And what's even more frustrating and I've got, I'll get on my soapbox. It, I've seen it at Texas Archery. Yeah. Texas Shootouts here. We shot nationals, and I'll forget this. So I went up as a coach, you know, but I took my bow because right? Jason had been talk, trying to talk me into doing this forever. That was for indoor, remember? It was for indoor. Mm-hmm. It was indoor nationals, and I'll never forget. So I took my bow, and there was about seven or eight of us that did the same thing. We kind of went up there, and after everything was done, and they were kind of everybody checked in, we went up to go, oh, heck, there's open bales. Let's just go register and shoot. What the heck? So you go up there, and they're, they're literally yanking bales off the line. 
They're pulling them off. Hey, we want to shoot. Can we sign up? No, can't. You got to pre-register. And I had to look at the guy. I'm like, hey, dude, they're pulling like five, six bales off the line right now. You can leave them up there. There's a line of people behind me. We all want to shoot. No, sir. Um, you didn't pre-register. The, the tournament's full. And I was just like, wow. I, that's when I was like, this, this company's. Yeah, it was 20, 30 shooters that they turned away. They turned away about 20 or 30 shooters up there and pulled yeah. bales off the line. Like because said, I, I'll drive 15 hours to an ASA yeah, and exactly. not even look at the schedule yet. Yeah. I mean, I know we shoot Fridays, but mm-hmm. I'll drive 15 hours of a tournament without registering and yep. just walk up to the trailer. Walk up to the trailer. And Courtney and no, I were sitting there. Shoot. Courtney no, and I were sitting there registering for the team shoot. And I was like, Bridger, are you signing up for the team shoot? He's like, no, I'm registering for the tournament. <laughs> exactly. Okay. No, he doesn't do it. Matter of fact, he even said, I don't think you even know how to do it online. Uh, I think. <laughs> Courtney, Courtney registered me when we were driving to Coleman, but that's only, I didn't even do it. So I, I'll still say I've never pre-registered for an ASA. <laughs> exactly. But you don't have to. No. I mean, and that's what you'll find about go. the 3D world is so much more laid back and it's so, I don't know. It does yeah. seem a bit more accessible. Or accommodating. Oh, it's yeah. much more accommodating. Too. Accommodating. It, I will say that organization is built by archers for archers. I mean, they do a really good job of a, that. A good representation is I, I remember the first asa pro-am i ever shot was actually the classic man like 2016 or mm-hmm. something and i'm like ah, oh, well i didn't go to a pro-am qualifier so i can't go to the classic and somebody's like dude mike tyrell's not gonna he's Turn not gonna say away. no to no, more money no he is not <laughs> so, no. and like same thing with that i well, you know he used never to have been it. to an asa and i drove drove to the classic and just walked yeah. up signed up i don't think i think it's in their bylaws about there you have to shoot one event to qualify to but you shoot are for the he, classic he ain't yeah turned, somebody's like I, he, he's, he's never not turned you away money. he's no. not gonna not take your money <laughs> no. <man."> like <laughs> and that's why i never understood that mentality with usa archery it's like you know there's 20 to 30 shooters willing to pay their hundred and some dollar entry fee you've walked away from roughly you know two grand mm-hmm they don't care i mean they just flat out it just blows my mind i don't know how they survive but like i said the, as the only avenue to the olympics is how they survive government money yeah you kidding they're just like the government in my opinion god darn don't get me started on that one but uh, just drink your coffee yeah no kidding <laughs> breathe you will like but i think when you get a chance to go shoot 3d you'll experience what jason did you'll be like oh yeah. my gosh this is actually a lot of fun 3d nfaa field and well, stuff you like in that. your backyard have got Reading. Uh, what, second or third largest archery tournament in the world, ready? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing. Well, backyard, it's still probably 16 hours. Is it really? From I, I mean, it's a lot. How, how far it is from way. Southern California? Are you guys to the in San Diego, or we're we're kind of like LA, LA, San Diego area, somewhere okay. between there. Yeah, gotcha. Is that 16 hours up north? I don't know if it's 16. <laughs> it's I mean, it's I wanna like say, driving from here to I want to say I looked it up one time. About seven. And I, I want to say maybe it was like 10 or 12 hours. I was going to say, I knew it was close to double digits. Wow. It's a long drive. But for an event like that, sure, yeah, I'd drive up there. But I also have a lot of airline miles, so I might just be lazy and fly. <laughs> fly to San Francisco. <laughs> I was say, if you go to, if you do want to get into like the field side of stuff, writing is a unbelievable one to do. Place that. to start. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That, well, maybe not start, but first com- first competition to go to. That one, a good one. That one is a blast. Yeah, you so, have writing, you have the outlaw. The Outlaw yeah, Series, whole outlaw the whole Outlaw Series there. tour yeah. in California is amazing. And, and then, then, hell, right up north, well, I mean, it's a longer, it's on the West Coast, but you've got, is it Darrington, Darrington is up there? Yeah. Darrington, Washington. And they hold has, field every three years. They'll have the, the national tournament there. Matter of fact, I, I is hope it they, there this year? 
No, we shot it already. Oh, that's right. But I mean, is it next year? I mean, I guess. I think they're on the rotation. Somebody made a comment. I don't know. I, I'd love to see it go back. Those are the best field courses I've ever shot. Darrington. Yeah. That's Definitely cool. the most, some of the most technical ones anyways. Right. Right. Probably a lot but more to do than Yankton. A lot more to do than Yankton where <laughs> you're, the, the most aggressive downhill shot is a 15-yard bunny on really? top of a sand mound. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. But, but another thing that, that Josh and I were talking about last night is, you know, you want to get your, your hunting bow set up. You want to get into the hunting side, but you're also interested in going to Total Archery Challenge. I am. Something that Scott is really familiar with and yeah, Bridger's uh, getting into it too. You know, we've, uh, we had this talk with, uh, we had the national account sales manager for Elite Outdoor Group on here, Paul Gio, good friend and great guy. And he, we've been, uh, we've been, I think, I, I don't care bragging about it, but we've been really integral to their growth here in San Antonio because their first couple of years, they, they were not going to come back their third year in San Antonio because um, attendance, but they were really picking wrong dates, wrong times of year um, because of weather they were scheduling over big national level events. And, mm. you know, even though they don't draw the target archer, it's still archery. So you got a, a whole, and I hate to say it, but in Texas, when a group of guys go to a national event, it affects, I mean, there's a lot of people that tug on their coattails and go with them, you know, type thing. So, um, they, they started actually running the schedule by us, by me. They'd send me the dates, three dates. Hey, which one's the best date, Scott? You know, and we tell them this is it because of this, this and this. And, they um man now they're they're huge but Paul came to this event this year, um, the outdoor group and elite archery had a booth and you know, to give you some insight you'll you'll find you won't find a lot of tournaments where they'll run three to five thousand people through an event in three days I mean and I mean per day not overall per day mm-hmm. so you know you multiply that there's nine thousand brand impressions minimally at Snowbird Utah for example. Um, and it's it's a sea of camo, <laughs> and I'll tell you what it's actually turning into. And you know this, Josh, because you've shot, you know, d- you've seen the different disciplines that you have through your shooting staff. But you've got, you know, your USA archers, you've got your NFAA field archers, you've got your ASA 3D archers, and now you've created a whole new genre the the industry has. And you've got now the TAC archer, t- the you know, total archer challenge. These guys are wearing camo head to toe. They walk out there with backpacks full of water and snacks and gear, and their their arrows are usually in their backpack. Um, or range pants. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it is a. They are now a genre um, in the sport, and they they have specific things that they build to. We even carry a tack arrow that is extremely inexpensive, like under nine dollars. Um, we carry some that are five, and they buy them by the dozens because you go there with the expectation you are going to break every arrow in your quiver. And you're good. I mean, they buy them by the two and three I mean, dozens. People do it too, yeah, which and is they baffling do it. to me. Oh, I mean, I went and shot the first one I shot was in uh, Big Sky a yeah. couple years ago, yeah. and I mean, you'll watch a guy burn five arrows I'm, shooting at a ninety-yard cinnamon bear yeah. <laughs> over a log that's oh, you know there'll be a log ten yards in front of it yeah. that you got like two inches to get over. Oh, yeah. I mean, I watched a guy burn like four or five arrows. Yeah. Just and not shoot, even hit twice. the lock. Oh damn! I mean, grab not just grab another arrow and do it again. Smoke yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, I I always tell everybody you you equate it to Vegas. You know, you take two thousand dollars with you, you lose every penny of it. You're good. You had fun, and that's what they do in tack. It's it's an arrow eater. They had a picture. I don't know if you've seen it, but one of their that targets one that with big, the tree that branch had probably they had a tree arrows in it. that was 
that was coming across in front of the target. So there was definitely an arc problem. Mm-hmm. There were there had to be more than a hundred arrows in that tree that were stuck in the side it. of it. It was unbelievable. Um, we had a target here that was in rocks, and it was a badger, small. Yeah, look at that thing. Those are arrows oh, in that tree. Gosh. That's one tack event. Well, hold on. I think they posted like the lost arrow bucket. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. At one of them, that's I don't. Like I'm not sure which. Arrows. Yeah, I'm not sure which one it is, but they yeah. that was at the well the end of last month. So whatever the last tack was, oh, but yeah, yeah there'll be two thousand plus lost arrows at there. Oh yeah, bringing down. And, off I, that and I'll tell you, if, you know, something you need to look into is that also you look at their mentality as a tack archer. You know, and we kind of we have a lot of guys that fall into this. Those are the Renaissance guys. I mean, they are looking for out of the box, different stuff to make them more effective. And I mean, those are the guys that change the little thing for big. They actually act like recurve. Those uh, are the collectors. Uh, prima donnas. Yeah, they are. They are the collectors. They're the collectors. And I think you, you all need to look at, and those events are going out West now more and more. There's what Bridger, five or six events out West now. Yeah. I mean, and you know, when I say West, I'm talking Western mountain States, right in your kind of in your backyard, man, it would be, highly um valuable i think for you guys to 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 try to start a footprint out there i I will say that tack has probably been responsible for more outdoor related companies starting and being successful in a very very short period of time oh yeah just by them going there and sponsoring those events to some degree and it sounds like a great breeding ground for different oh disciplines to come together and start percent. you what's funny though it'll be the one place nobody keeps score no well they don't keep score it's just you shoot for fun. And I'll never forget, me and Dave Cousins went to Salt Lake City, Utah. I mean, uh, Snowbird. And we took our target bows. And, dude, you ride six miles, or six miles, you ride uh, up this, what do they call it? Uh, a ski lift. A ski lift, and you shoot six miles down. And carrying that bow with 30-inch front bar really sucked. Mistake. Oh, it was a huge mistake. And it's the one place that you'll take a target bow, and everybody will make fun of you. I'll be like, look at that idiot. <laughs> you know? Because it's all hunting. These guys are hardcore, crazy hunters. Yeah, you, you know? shoot your hunting bow. Hunting bow. Whatever you want on it. I mean, you can put a equalizer on it, whatever. As long as it's mm-hmm. a hunting bow, you're good. Don't bring your target bow. Yeah, don't bring your target bow. No, they'll laugh you off the mountain. But and, and Bridger made a comment, I think, when you shot your first one. He came back and said, funnest time I've ever had shoot my bow in my entire life period it is a blast yeah that is that is definitely the most fun i've had i'd had shooting a bow yeah because there are insane shots average shot is probably you know on the tough they have usually seven or eight courses their top four courses their average shot will be 70 that's average um and they also have a bunch of novelty shoots yeah like shooting that steel rhino shooting for the truck shooting for the truck they give away a fully rigged truck I mean, with I mean, you can just try and buy it from Chris. He'll probably want it again. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Which one? Yeah, he's gonna, well, that's what I mean. He's got he, two he's now. He's got two of them. Um, but yeah, something you guys need to look into because I think it's a it would be huge for you guys to to go try to crack. That would be the fastest way to get into that hunting community quick because you know nobody else is there. You think about it. There's yeah, no there's no beast singer. There's no conquest. There's no doinker. I mean, it's mostly just yeti mountain ops. <laughs> you <laughs> at all of them. Yeti mountain ops and black rifle coffee now. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are your big ones. But from a manufacturer standpoint, what's that? Knock on. Uh huh. Yep. Knock on. They're out there too. But yeah. no, really, you don't have a lot of manufacturers. You're seeing more. I know 
elite archery, it is talking to Paul. That's going to be one of their we don't miss events. Yeah, we'll have to tour. check it out. It, it sounds pretty cool. Just come hang out with us. Yeah, you next actually next year we we're blessed that Texas is the opening event, the inaugural event every year. It's in uh, in April, and um, then after that is literally it, it would be hard because I think it's it's to the point now. It's, is it every week or every, every other week? It's uh, I, I know this August. every two three weeks. Probably. I know this last month, uh, July, mm-hmm. they went from Big Sky to Park City. To, to snowbird to snowbird yeah. three weeks yep yeah three consecutive weeks boom 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 yeah and what's crazy registering for that event is like what Bridget's it's like talking doing about. the asa thing you get it you're sitting there hitting enter, refresh, enter, 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 enter. they sold out in. like the western mountain state sell out like in 30 minutes wow because they don't they can only take so many people up the ski lift so they they, they predicate how many times can the ski lift go up and back and then how many people can it take so it's got a cap and that I don't. I, I think three thousand tickets get sold in less than thirty minutes. That's how fast it sells out. It's crazy. Yeah, that, I think we're lucky with the one here in Texas because people can just walk walk and on. They yeah, do yeah we don't sell out down here. But yeah, for sure, like Big Sky, uh, Snowbird, ones like that, they sell out almost immediately. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool, cool, cool place, cool town for sure. And they're they're in they're in great places. And also, just the vendor community alone, you would uh, you guys would fit in really well. It's it's an awesome 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 event that's for sure well we've been on a long time josh you got anything you want to share with us as far as um the company any plugs or um that's a good question what's new what's coming out what's in your well, works? well we'll have um we'll have some mounts and kitty sees coming out in a couple months oh, that's here. right you kind of gave us a little yeah, can't sneak sneak those. can't give all the secrets yet, but you guys yeah. got to peek at those. Yeah. Um, looks like we'll probably have a couple of bars for next year coming out, and um, really, right now we're just trying to keep growing. We're trying to keep our keep our processes nailed down as far as keeping stuff in stock, keeping stuff delivered quickly. Um, you know, growing into new markets is is big for us, especially right now in compound and hunting three mm-hmm. D with the Wraith Bar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're just. We're having a good time and we're growing as we go, learning as we go and um, trying to do more stuff like this. Go out to shops, meet right. people, have good conversations, have fun doing archery. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Cool. And, I mean, you guys, you and Joe, I, I I know that you guys run like the team meetings and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You guys have a really big history of coaching and, and programs yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And, Fitness and, and everything. Yeah, our company motto is like bringing archers the best equipment and the best value possible and educating them to reach their potential. And that educating people to reach their potential is something that we're really working on kind of moving forward more. We both have a pretty extensive background in coaching and teaching as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and over the pandemic for like nine ten months we were doing every single wednesday we were doing live streams with a private instagram of just our protein and we're talking about diet you know training weightlifting cardio how do you get your resting heart rate down Mm -hmm. everything we can think of to talk about for the mental game and and i like to hope that at least for some of those people we provided some value to the team and gave them you know, something to do while they're stuck at home shooting blank bail for <laughs> Lord knows how long, but, yeah. but yeah, the educating people 
giving people tools to help them get better, something we're really passionate about. We're trying to get set up to start doing some YouTube videos and stuff like that. Just trying to probably initially start out with the stuff we have the most knowledge in already in the recurve stuff, maybe leverage some of our compound team to bring on some content, talk about how to set up bars, talk about how to set up bows. And then from there branch out and just try to become, you know, a resource to as many people as we can to help them do their best. That's cool. So, I want to kind of circle back on real quick and ask a question that I've usually sure. asked of all manufacturers. Did uh, COVID help you guys? It didn't at the peak of everything being shut down. And, and we actually had a pretty rough time with um, supply chain for right. a period of time there where it wasn't so much that COVID killed all the demand, but it killed my supply chain so right. i had demand that couldn't be she filled, had demand that could be fulfilled right correct. but coming out of that now i mean we've had our best year already and we're the halfway growth. through the year so yeah, exactly exactly That's what <laughs> so I was curious it's, about. we're actually like skyrocketing right now it's right. pretty insane so what are you guys thinking um sustained is this market you think going to be sustainable or you think it's going to die off level off i think that there's been a bit of a boost that was kind of like people coming out of the cave, so to speak, mm-hmm. spending some stimulus checks on some equipment. But for us, our biggest growth has actually been overseas too. I mean, we, you know, it's exploding in Europe and Asia right now for us. And I, I don't think that's just COVID I, and that's sustained, you know, we're seeing that from, it's still increasing, you know, month by month as we get into the the middle of the year, which and historically has been a little slower for us. So I sure hope that it's at least somewhat sustainable and and we're not going to see a huge drop off because it doesn't seem like there's an indication of that right now, but right. we'll be ready for whatever happens. Gotcha. Are you guys finally that, uh, you know, you guys are, are you from California? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're born and raised there. Joe and I both actually born and raised in Southern California. Okay. Are you, are you finding it difficult to operate in the state during this COVID because of the, you know, you guys got a pretty heavy restrictions. You know, there was a period of time there where Joe and I were working remotely, um, he had some people in the house he's living in that were a little bit older. He wanted mm-hmm. to make sure they're protected. Um, and then just, you know, we don't want to be spreading stuff if, right. if we can at all avoid it. So we worked remotely for a while, a lot of zoom calls, which I'm absolutely sick of now. <laughs> um, but fortunately with not being able to do a whole lot of production anyway, we were right. able to just kind of focus on more forward looking goals yeah. to get better set up for when things did open up. Right. Um, but by the time that, uh, our production was able to pick back up again from getting materials, we were able to get back in person again and, um, just keep things rolling. So yeah, there was a little bit of a challenge, but it wasn't too, too bad. Gotcha. Well, you guys are being a smaller company, you're probably we're a lot more agile. We're, more we're about as nimble as they come right now. Right. Exactly. Well, that's cool. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad to hear that. And I, I, I agree with you. I hope that my my gut and uh, you know industry professionals we talk with that looks like maybe this might be a more sustainable maybe a little drop off but most of the growth is going to stay there for the most part i think i hope i think it's going to get bigger you really yeah i mean we were just watching tv the other night and there was a olympic commercial with one of the uh i forget what her name is the swimmer mm-hmm. um and throughout her commercial she was like yeah i'm just sitting here watching this and then i decided that with my money back i'm gonna go buy archery equipment and then really? it just yeah it showed a whole archery commercial and my wife turns around she's like why is everybody doing archery now yeah so it's the next big thing yeah cheaper so. than guns it right is, now. and it's reusable yeah you can reuse your bullets get your bullets yeah. back so <laughs> awesome well john uh, 
man, we love, we're glad you're here. I'm glad to be here, man. Yeah. And, and, and maybe one thought to close out on is just telling you guys that both as a, a manufacturer and a listener of the podcast, I really appreciate you bringing on the manufacturers because it's given me a whole new perspective on some of these brands that you guys have brought that I either knew nothing about or maybe had a different opinion of. And right. one of the things I like about a longer form discussion is it's kind of hard not to understand somebody a little bit and start to be able to relate to them after you have that, that exactly. conversation. So exactly. I think it's going to benefit other shops. I think it's going to benefit other manufacturers. I think it benefits archers and it helps everybody work together better. Yeah. And I agree. Cause you know, I was trying to break this stigma with doing this is that the, and you guys probably know this Bridger, you and even you, Jason, that the manufacturers growing up as a kid in this sport, you know, always seemed like that they were on another planet yeah. they were out there untouchable. Mm -hmm. You know, we, you don't ever talk about them. It's just the shop, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I thought, man, they need to get their story out and you need to know who they, they're people, you know, they're, they're, they're not the rock stars that you, but they're awesome. But then again, I wanted to bring them in into the, the fold so that people understood, you know, they have the same problems we have, you know, right. They're running the business at the end of the day and, and, and their supply chain issues, employment issues, blah, 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 and bring them more in and let the people, you know, like you said, learn who they are. I mean, here we got you, the, the owner of Ramrods who, might be the next Doinker company in the next ten years, and we'll we'll see what happens. We're and, working on it and kill the kill the kill the market. You know? and um, that'll be something awesome. So yeah, it's um, the podcast for us. We've just taken a different approach on it. You know, me and Bridger talked about it. How many how many ways can you kill a white tailed deer? <laughs> I know. I mean, um, or, or an elk. <laughs> how many ways can you set up an arrow? Yeah, exactly. And you know, we're trying to get into the weeds and I guess bring archery more real real down down to earth because at, at your guys's level when people usually talk about manufacturers they think you guys are up here in the clouds you know the right. holier than thou's and you, you guys are doing awesome don't get me wrong but we're trying to bring everything back down to planet earth and we're just guys that love archery and we like making absolutely cool stuff. man and that's what that's really I, I i've always said it if the people that are in it to love the sport to love on people that love the sport are the ones going to be successful i always say that money's a byproduct you know, I left an engineering job that I'm like making all the money I want to make, you know, and I pay myself extremely little, but this is what it's about for me, you know, and the money will come. It's not a job anymore. That. No, I ain't worked a day in five years. That's what I tell everybody, you know, cause I monetize something I love to do. So thanks for having, uh, coming on. And yeah, we're going to have course. a really, really good me. time the next two days uh, today, all day, today and tomorrow. It's going to be a blast. So hopefully we got a lot of people in here. It might be dead. <laughs> Who knows? You just they'll, never know. they'll come yeah they'll probably be here yeah um, it's been great guys thank you yeah man i appreciate you coming down like i said all the way from california to texas which by the way what do you think of the differences between i like it here <laughs> so there's, so there's a lot of californians that's yeah. why all the, that's why all that's why all of our, our housing prices uh, go through the that's what they think is like don't come here say <laughs> so that's why a 1200 square foot shanty shack in bernie texas costs 300 grand <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so, sorry guys. no you're good trust me hey if you ever get bored you want to move your manufacturing down this way come on now thank you california for that because i'm selling my house in three months say, it works <laughs> yeah, really good go. for you. exactly well thanks yeah. a lot once again josh we'll we'll hopefully we'll wish you the best and um, we'll be carrying the products for sure. So you guys want to look at Ramrods? We're gonna we're gonna work a deal out before he leaves here. And where can get people some reach you at? Um, our website and our website is ramrodsarchery.com, and all social media handles are Ramrod or at Ramrods Archery. Gotcha. Perfect. Perfect. And right. emails um, Ramrods Archery at Gmail if you want to send me a message. 
Okay. And you see, you get those? Yep. Yep. I oh. handle every single communication that goes out as me. So. <laughs> Dang, that's awesome. It's a lot. Give yeah, me some that's, work to that's do. That's got to be a little bit <laughs> I, think I, I think I have like maybe two replies from Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe's well, Joe's the engineer, so he yeah. stays busy on. Yeah, trust me. He's behind a computer that stuff. all day. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, once again, we're trying to bring you the best content we can. If you've got any ideas and things that you want to hear, we typically will answer those questions. I know we had one show almost dedicated to one guy that asked yeah. a lot of questions about scope. So, but uh get back with and let us know and um man we'll just keep trucking along so once again thanks for listening if you don't tell us what you want to hear we're just going to give you what we want exactly (laughs) we'll catch you guys next time take care